It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think you're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. The tide has turned on the Joe Burrow narrative, and national media are now speaking about Burrow to Cincinnati as a foregone conclusion. Prominent voices are saying, why are we talking bad about the Bengals? Not only that, we have Joe Burrow favoriting a tweet from Chad Ochocinco, We'll talk about all that to start the show, and then we're joined by CBS Sports' Chris Trapasso to talk about his draft board, some potential fits for the Bengals, and of course, as we do every day, because it's fun, talk a little Joe Burrow. ESPN's Mike Greenberg asked ESPN's top draft analyst Mel Kuyper this morning about the ongoing narrative that Joe Burrow and Cincinnati are not a match made in heaven. He asked Mel, what about this idea that quarterbacks are going to fail in Cincinnati? And Mel went on a rant that I think will be remembered for the ages by Bengals fans. Like Burrow is being set up to fail in Cincinnati. What do you think of that perspective? I'm disgusted by it, Greeny. It makes me sick. And I've been screaming about this for months. I hear this garbage. All, everybody wants to spew about the Bengals and it's the horrible place to go. It's awful. You got no chance for a quarterback to have success. What are you dreaming? You want to just throw out inaccurate information? Fine, but it, it makes me sick. The 81 and 88 may be too long ago, but they won at 81 with Kenny Anderson, 88 with Boomer Esiason. And if that's too far uh, removed, fine. Let's fast forward to 2011, 2015. That's not 100 years ago, guys. Okay, they had five straight winning seasons, five straight playoff appearances. Should have beat Pittsburgh. It was a penalty late that cost them that opportunity. They had an 11 and 12 win season mixed in for those five straight years of getting to the playoffs. Okay, and with, with Carson Palmer, he got hurt in a playoff game where they may have won that game. Andy Dalton had success. So this notion that Joe Burrow is going to a place that's never won, never had success, never had a quarterback do anything is utterly ridiculous. Ooh, yeah, some fire from Mel Kuyper, and I like it. I think this is what we've been saying for a while. I, I think the narrative that the Bengals are a bottom-of-the-league dumpster fire when it comes to quarterback play is just completely inaccurate, obviously. I mean, throughout – how old are you? If you're 45, 50 years old, you've seen four prominent Bengals quarterbacks out of that span. And I don't know how many franchises can say that. They've gotten production, high-end production, out of the last two quarterbacks they've drafted. I just, I think Mel's right. I think everything he said was the truth. And the fact that it caught those hosts off guard a little bit was 
the surprising part because I, I think they started to believe the narrative that they've been pushing for the last couple months. The Bengals have drafted five Pro Bowl quarterbacks in the Common Era draft. That was a graphic that popped up during the Mel Kuyper rant. So I guess they were ready for it. They must have known that Mel was going to take this direction. At least the producers did. Maybe Greeny didn't know. But that is tied for third in the NFL. That's a pretty good number for all the people that like to shout doom and gloom. The Bengals are a terrible destination. Bengals fans, this is preaching to the choir, right? You guys have been saying this since this narrative first came up. What's Miami done since Dan Marino left? Not a whole lot. The other breadcrumb today, credit to Mel Kuyper here to wrap that up, but the other breadcrumb today was Chad Ochocinco, the guy who got many people addicted to the Bengals in the early 2000s, tweeted to Joe Burrow on Wednesday, and he said, I know you can see this, Don't answer publicly. Just save it in your likes as a response. I bleeping love you, man. See you in Cincinnati soon. Hashtag who day. And Joe Burrow favorited that tweet pretty damn quick. He did. And what does that mean, right? Because he's favorited some weird things this year. So he likes to have fun with the media and, and, you know, poke the bear a little bit. And maybe he's just doing that again. But again, I think that's pretty cool and, and fun for my quarterback, eventual quarterback, to have that edge to him. Also, Ian Rappaport added on to the pile of reports that the Bengals have maxed out their time with Joe Burrow saying offense coordinator Brian Callahan and Zach Taylor since March have maximized their weekly allotted time with Joe Burrow. And it's more than just getting to know each other. It's not so much install, he said, but it is conversations about scheme, how to build a scheme, what he likes, conceptual stuff, how they did this, how they attacked that. And to me, it sounds like, well, he not sounds like, even Ian Rappaport said, this is the most slam dunk first pick in a long time. But it sounds like they're getting ready to take Joe Burrow and just go straight into building this offense around him. And Joe Burrow, to his credit, has been focused on preparing for NFL games since his college season ended. That's what Jordan Palmer said. That's what he said about his approach to this pre-draft offseason, his last before he becomes a Cincinnati Bengal. Coming up next, Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports weighs in on the Bengals in this NFL draft. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now we are joined by NFL Draft expert and local guy for me and CBS's foremost when it comes to the NFL Draft. This is Chris Trapasso. Chris, how are you doing, buddy? Show. I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. And it's great getting a Western New York connection. It's kind of weird, though, on a Bengals draft podcast. But actually, Joe and I don't live that far apart from each other. And making it even more weird is I live on the west coast of Canada. So, (laughs) yeah, this is a very unique geographic podcast and content or, or topic that we're talking about the Bengals and the draft and all of our locations. 
Yeah. Well, because that's how it is, though. We came up around the same time, Chris, where, I mean, you can yeah. evaluate, you can watch film, you can look at analysis from anywhere. You don't have to be in the city yep. to do what we do and create content. For sure. I'm totally with you. So, Chris, your uh, top 150 board was 250. it? 250. 250. Man, I'm cutting you short there. Top no, 250 right. board. Is this finalized now, or are you going to make any adjustments? It's finalized. I I could have, and I'm sure you know, Joe, and, and and Jake, probably you too. Feels like you can tweak a big board like until like the second before the draft starts, but I was just agonizing over it. So I told my editor, I was like, just give me a deadline so I can like be <laughs> done with this. Um, because I didn't want to keep watching more Tristan Wirfs tape and see if I noticed anything else. I just wanted to be done. So it came out uh Tuesday and it's totally finalized for this draft class. Who are the biggest surprises for you, Chris? I think I asked you to sell me on Curtis Weaver. Without sure. using the words productivity. And because that's a big part of the argument for me for Curtis Weaver is he was incredibly productive at Boise State. But without using that word, you've got him at 16th on your board. PFF really likes Curtis Weaver as well. When I turn him on, I see a, a, uh, a want for athleticism, a want for burst. I. I personally came away with some motor questions but you're very high on him as well so here's another opportunity to sell me on Curtis Weaver yeah I don't think he has like insane burst off the snap probably not first round caliber Um, the one thing I think he does that is definitely first round caliber to me is his ability to flatten to the quarterback that that's one thing that I always look for with edge rushers probably after having pass rushing moves if just on their outside speed rush, are they getting pushed past the quarterback a lot or can they dip and bend the edge and flatten to the quarterback? And at 6'2 and 265, a body type that you would expect would not be able to flatten to the quarterback. I think when he was healthy, um, he kind of had an ankle injury late in the season. But for the other two and a half seasons at Boise State, I saw him turning the corner with a good amount of speed. But just the ability to flatten, to me, um, is a true trump card when you're looking at Curtis Weaver. You know, I always find it hard to explain those guys that don't look like the prototype, right? And they find a way to win at a high rate. He kind of reminded me of, and he's a little bit smaller than this guy, but he kind of reminded me of Adrian Claiborne. Claiborne just seems to win and have a productive career, even though he's not a dominant player. And every time I watch him, I'm like, how is he winning? How is he getting around that corner? And that's how I felt with Weaver. Um, and but to move on, that was just my take on it. To move on, Joe Burrow, that's our guy, right? That's the number one pick. Are you do you feel as excited or as high on Burrow and his potential as we do over here? Yeah, definitely. Um, he's my number one player on my big board. Um, and what I've kind of done with Joe Burrow over the last couple of weeks because I had heaped so much praise on him, and I figured people are getting their analysis from NFL Network, from ESPN, or they maybe already read or heard things that I've said. It's easier with him because he's so good and his tape is so clean to just bring up like the two areas that I'm a little bit concerned about. Um, and it's just that he does not have a huge arm. Um, so when you're talking about a number one overall pick that's as big of a slam dunk as Joe Burrow, you would probably in a vacuum want a stronger arm and just um, the kind of low hanging fruit that there was just one season of elite production. But getting through his reads, the accuracy at all levels of the field. And to me, what's like a new area of quarterbacking, his ability to improvise that two or three years ago, and Joe, you can probably attest to this too. 
Before Patrick Mahomes, we were all looking for pocket-only quarterbacks that didn't want to get outside. They wanted to stay in like Drew Brees, like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. Um, And then with this new era with Patrick Mahomes at the forefront of it, you want your quarterback to be able to make crazy plays off script outside of the structure of the play. I think Joe Burrow does that considerably better than Tua Tagovailoa or any of the other quarterbacks in this class. So that's kind of the final piece of the puzzle to me, that he checks out as a pocket passer, but also gives you that scrambling and ad-libbing element that is so important to playing quarterback today. Do you put, or where do you come down, I guess, is a better way to phrase this question, on the idea that that is not consistent on a year-to-year basis? I feel like PFF has done some work on this, and they've looked at their grading and total QBR, for example, under pressure versus in a clean pocket they've found that the most consistent thing and most predictive factor on a year-to-year basis is clean pocket performance. Obviously, mm-hmm. Joe Burrow, very good there, but the gap between Burrow, Tagovailoa, Herbert, even Jalen Hurts, much smaller than the pressure grade, which is where Burrow really stood out this year. I think it was Steve Ruiz just wrote a piece talking about how one of Burrow's biggest strengths is something that isn't necessarily translatable or predictive. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think, I mean, like I just said, that that pre-Patrick Mahomes, and I kind of, I mean, he really is the benchmark that changed everything, I think, um, that we were looking for these robotic quarterbacks inside the pocket. Um, because I mentioned Joe Burrow uh, in terms of his improvisation, that doesn't mean, like you mentioned, that I think he's average or slightly above average from a clean pocket. I think we will see in Cincinnati that year after year, Joe Burrow is going to be one of the most precise uh, and most efficient pocket passers first. Uh, But I think once you get, and maybe this is not um, over a 16 game season translating to the next season, but once you get into the playoffs, when the weather is not as good, when you're playing better defenses, better corners, better pass rushes, we saw it with what Patrick Mahomes did uh, in the Chiefs Super Bowl run this this past January and February that you're going to have to make those plays under pressure outside the pocket when things break down and you get through your reads and there's no one there. So I, I think that's why really Joe Burrow checks all the boxes for me um, because he's going to win from inside the pocket when it's clean and he can do things outside as well. Chris, I saw a a list today or ranking of the most accurate mock drafts last year. And your name was number four or five, I want to say. I don't want to cut you short if you were higher than that. But uh, And I was like, look at this. We got him on today. So I don't know if you have a two-round mock. I haven't seen. But who do we have for the Bengals or who do you think for the Bengals at 33? I've wavered back and forth. And wait, by the way, I have no idea how I finished that high in my final mock draft last year. I think in 2018, I got like one pick right. And then last year, I got like eight. Like, not necessarily where the guys were picked, but pairing the teams with the prospects. That was completely, I would say, 99% luck. Um, If I get three or four right uh, in my last mock draft, that'll come out the day before the draft on Wednesday. Um, I'll be super super happy with that. Um, But... For the Bengals at 33, I've wavered back and forth between Patrick Queen from LSU and Denzel Mims from Baylor. I do a mock draft every week, so I have to kind of change things up. I've done um, a few two-rounders this past month, and I've those were my last two picks. Two weeks ago, it was Denzel Mims. This week, it was Patrick Queen. Uh, I think those are the two biggest needs for the uh, Bengals, maybe beyond offensive tackle and just with all the speculation that 
maybe even six or seven offensive tackles could go off the board in the first round. I think the Bengals will ultimately go um, the wide receiver position or linebacker spot at the top of the second round. It'll be very interesting to me to watch that pick to see if they even stay there. We're getting a lot of breadcrumbs from the organization and those close to it that they don't really or don't necessarily intend to stay at 33. They're dropping hints to prepare us for a trade back. They're saying, you know, if guys like Calevon Chason aren't available, the Bengals might trade back. And Calevon Chason, of course, by many expected to be at least a top 20 pick. So when, when you hear stuff like that come from Dave Lapham, who's very close to the organization, it wouldn't surprise us if they trade back. I noticed looking at your mock draft that you've got Josh Jones going all the way at 43. Do you see a fit with the Bengals for Jones? Because I think he's a guy that Joe and I would really like if he's available. Yeah, he's kind of an enigma that I group him in to what I've kind of called the top or the big five at the offensive tackle spot in this draft class. Some tweets from Ian Rappaport today have kind of suggested that teams view it as a big four and not including Josh Jones. That's why I had him a little bit lower. I don't know if he'll ultimately go number 43 overall. I think he would be an awesome fit in Cincinnati because although you certainly want uh, him to play on the edge because that's more valuable, I think he could even start his career at guard and then move his way around because um, although I think the the guys like Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, Andrew Thomas give you more dominant traits um, and are longer and a little bit stronger, I like Josh Jones' game across the board. I think he has good balance. He's a pretty good athlete. Um, I like the four years of experience and, and, and pretty shutdown play at Houston. Yes, it was lesser competition, but you like to see a player that was very steady. Um, and then we saw at the Senior Bowl, and you know, I was there with Joe, that he held his own and was arguably the best blocker against the best competition in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. So I think he would make a lot of sense for a team that could use a handful of pieces on the offensive line as they move into the Joe Burrow era. Chris, I want to go to a break right here, but we've got, I've got your list of 26 through 46 here on your big board. And since we're talking about 33, way more than number one at this point, let's do that after the break. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're joined again by Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports. And Chris, I'm looking at your big board. So for targets of pick 33 for the Bengals, first of all, I want to get to this guy after I talk, ask about this first one because I love who you got at number 28, if you probably don't remember who that is. But you mentioned Denzel Mims of Baylor as a possible target. You have him 41. I think he's all over the board for people. Some have him at like 20. Some have him all the way down to 45, 50. You seem to be on that back half, even though I think you agree like me. You like him, and we liked what we saw at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, I think he's a really good wide receiver prospect. Um, I, I don't know if he – I mean, he certainly aced the pre-draft process. Like you said, from the Senior Bowl, then he had the best workout of any wide receiver at the Combine, and that's going through the whole gamut of drills there in Indianapolis. 
I don't know if I saw that type of athleticism on film. Um, and I did see, like everyone saw, the circus catches near the sideline. Um, I think he's a little bit more of a linear athlete than he is this twitchy change of direction type of player. But you know you're getting four three eight speed. He's a big body, 6'2", around 210. Um, and you like the ability uh, near the sideline to contort his body, um, make difficult catches, really good on the back shoulder. I think if we're really going to try to label these types of wide receivers – I think he comes in as a right away your number two wide receiver and then in a couple seasons um, could become a number one wide out. Not that they're similar stylistically, but kind of what happened with Kenny Galladay in Detroit, that he was this good second or third round pick, day two selection, a few years into the NFL. Now he's clearly Detroit's number one wide receiver. I could see Denzel Mims having that type of a uh, rookie contract in the NFL. You know, looking at your wide receiver rankings in general, I find this position in this draft to be fascinating. We talked about it yesterday with Mike Renner. You've got Brian Edwards at 28. Joe, you were going to talk about him. Mm. I would love Brian Edwards. I hope he's healthy. I wish that he had a chance to do anything in the pre-draft process. But let's talk about him at 28. And then you seem pretty high compared to others on Tyler Johnson and Isaiah Hodgins. I actually told Joe, and I don't know if you listened to me or not, Joe, not to bother even watching Hmm. Isaiah Hodgins just because for the Bengals, I didn't think that his skill set translated at all when you have Tyler Boyd on this team. I I don't think that he has the athleticism to play outside. I think he can be a good slot receiver for somebody, a good big productive slot receiver like Tyler Boyd. But let's talk about those three names. Yeah, I mean, starting with uh, Brian Edwards, I mean, he's 28 on my board strictly for what he did on the field. I have no idea where he is medically. There's really a lot of unknown with him, like you mentioned, Um, was not able to participate in the Senior Bowl. He actually hurt his knee on like a last ditch effort to score a touchdown against Appalachian State that upset South Carolina in South Carolina when he ran into they have like the end of their end zone. There's like a a row of bushes that are like two yards outside the end zone, dove for the football, hit his knee, hurt his knee there, um, wasn't able to work out the senior bowl, then broke his foot during the pre-draft process preparing for the combine. I think he just is kind of like Josh Jones in that he does everything well. He's 6'3", 215. He was productive for four years in the SEC, started his career at 17 years old at South Carolina. That's kind of been the draft nugget with him that seems to pop up very often. Uh, I think he runs good routes for being that big, uh, has good twitch off the line, knows how to beat press. Um, and then you saw some flashes uh, of yards after the catch ability. I, think, I don't think he's a 4.6 or a 4.7 guy. I think he's more low 4.5s. Um, so if he's healthy, second or third round, and I wouldn't be surprised because of the medicals if he was there on the third day, I think Brian Edwards um, will be one of the better receiving prospects in this draft class. Forgot the second guy that you told me to talk about, but Isaiah Hodgins. Um, I don't think he's a crazy athlete, but after T. Higgins, I think he has the best and largest catch radius and contested catch ability in this draft class. He's tall, um, really reliable hands, even when he wasn't having to go up above the rim to make a catch. At Oregon State, his statistics improved every season. 
And I watched him in 2018, and I kind of saw, Jake, what you saw, that I was like, okay, he's tall, he's a little stiff, um, he's more just a rebounder than anything else. I think in 2019, his junior season at Oregon State, he got a lot twitchier. He's really good on double moves. Um, I think he's just athletic enough to be a fourth or a fifth round pick, even though I have him in my second round, um, and then ultimately be uh, a good number two or number three receiver in the NFL. The one guy I see here on this list of for well, for me targets at 33 that I think people are starting to fracture on a little bit as we get really close to the draft is C.J. Henderson. Some say he should go over Jeff Okuda. I mean, we've seen that recently. I think that's nuts. But then you've got him all the way down at number 30 on your board, which I don't think you you even expect him to be there at that point. But why are you lower on him than others? I'm lower on C.J. Henderson because just his 2019 film – I saw him have a problem to locate the football. And obviously if you're playing more off coverage, if you're playing more zone with your eyes on the quarterback, you're going to be able to make more plays on the football. And he is predominantly a press man type of player. Um, I think almost every draft process and Joe, you would probably be good at, at kind of pinpointing some of these players over the years. There's always a press man corner that might not have the cleanest film that might gotten beat down the field a few times, wasn't able to locate the football, but just has all the measurables. And CJ mm-hmm. Henderson ran sub four, four, um, you know, was at Florida. That's kind of a factory for secondary members. Uh, so I, I think there's more about a uh, defensive backs coach wants CJ Henderson on his team because of the size, the length, the experience in the SEC on an island um, and just what they can do with him as a moldable ball of clay as opposed to, like you were insinuating, I think Jeffrey Akuda's film is a lot cleaner and he gives you all of those attributes that C.J. Henderson does as well. All right, Chris, my last question for you here is everybody has their draft crushes, their favorite guys. Maybe they're not first round. Maybe they're not even day two guys. But who are the guys for you that if you had to bet will outperform their expectations or outperform their draft position that the rest of the league expects? I'll go with one obvious and one not so obvious. Um, If you're going to tell me that Jeremy Chin, the safety from Southern Illinois, goes like in the middle of the second round, maybe even after Kyle Duggar, I think he will seriously outperform, even being like the 40th or 50th pick, uh, like somewhere in that range in this draft class. Uh, watching him on film at 6'3", 220 plus pounds, um, you see the explosiveness that we saw at the Combine on film. I think he covers very well. He's a little bit more fluid, changing directions to me than Kyle Duggar. And the one point that I keep going back to comparing those two players Jeremy Chin's almost two years younger Mm -hmm. than Kyle Duggar. He's 22 years old. I I really like that. He's a little bigger than Kyle Duggar. They both absolutely are terrors um, against the run on outside runs. Uh, They can get to the football on a lot of plays where safeties that are smaller and not as explosive just would not be able to get their hands on the ball carrier. Um, So he's might be kind of an obvious one because he's been a pretty big name since the senior bowl and certainly after the combine. And then secondly, and it's weird, Peter Schrager just threw him in the first round of a mock draft. I haven't seen him anywhere close to as high. Harrison Bryant, the tight end from Florida Atlantic. Uh, I tweeted a few days ago that he was my pick for prospect in this draft class that his film did not match his combine whatsoever. Mm -hmm. He had a really bad combine, ran, I believe, in the four sevens, 
three cone was bad, a vertical broad jump, nothing really stood out. He looked like a low level athlete at the tight end spot, but on film, uh, he looks like a big slot receiver running intricate routes, creating separation. He's a horse after the catch and he flashed in those high point situations that you want to see your tight end excel. Um, so Harrison Bryant, I don't know if he's going to be a first rounder, um, but most of all the speculation leading up until now, about a week from the draft has been, he's a third or a fourth round pick. Cole Komet's going to go ahead of him. Adam Troutman's going to go ahead of him. Um, a few of the other tight ends in this weaker class. Um, so if you're talking about third, fourth, fifth round for Harrison Bryant, I think we're going to look back and say he is what fits and what works in today's NFL at the tight end spot. Chris, I think we got a lot of tweener guys or hybrid guys on defense. Mm-hmm. I think the, the the name used to be tweener, and that used to be used as a negative. Now they're hybrid. Now yep. they're guys you can employ in different ways. And I read today that Josh Ucci originally committed to Miami because he liked Al Golden. And when Golden got fired, he pulled his offer and he went to Michigan instead. Um, Al Golden is now the Bengals linebackers coach. You have him in that range of, of 33 on your big board. How would you employ Josh Ucci? I think he truly is. And, and I've said this on a few radio spots. He is the most versatile defensive front seven player in this entire draft class. And I really mean that. That you watch him at Michigan, you can start watching a game and you see him off the ball and he looks like, hey, this looks like a second or a third round pick at the off ball linebacker spot. Then you watch him on third and long and he's hanging on the edge and he's able to convert speed to power. He has a really explosive first step and then he uses an awesome inside counter to really keep tackles kind of off balance and and keep them guessing. So at times he looks like a fringe first round prospect as an edge rusher. And then other times he looks like a second round linebacker. I would truly use him in a legitimate hybrid role. And I think he would make a ton of sense beyond the Al golden connection for the Bengals that might want a little more at their edge rusher spot um, and could use a, a rangy um, explosive linebacker. I really like Josh Uchi. He did have an injury uh, concern don't remember exactly what it was, um, but I don't believe he worked out at the combine. But if all the medicals check out, I think he's going to be one of the better kind of positionless players on defense in this draft class. And the Bengals had a lot of experience with him as well down at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. I'm sure they know him at this point pretty well. Mm-hmm. And Lou Anarumo, another talking about scheme fit for the Bengals, we talk about a lot on this podcast, likes to move guys around on defense. We saw Sam Hubbard all over every front seven positions. Sam Hubbard was aligned there last year. Chris, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. You can find him at Chris Trapasso on Twitter. You can find all his stuff over on CBSSports.com. He is you the lead draft analyst. Is that the title? I don't think no. There's not any lead the on best. the front of my title. Just I've been here. I've been doing it. This is my third draft season uh, for CBS. They've added a few other people doing it. So I, I'm the longest tenured, I guess, um, that, that's doing it year-round at CBS. As Joe said, the best draft <laughs> analyst from CBS. Joe is the best draft analyst. Oh, well, period. On. Of course. I'm not going to dispute that my co-host is the best at anything. <laughs> but uh, we'll take the best that CBS can offer us. Chris, we really appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Take care, man. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.
Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 